we're going to consider today how Jesus gives us new life, how he takes something that is broken, how he takes someone that is confused, how he takes something that is seemingly useless and breathes new life into it. And what I want to suggest to you today is this, um, this idea, this, this reality, is the, the thing, probably above all other things, that makes Christianity unique among all other world faiths and world religions. Because it's not primarily about what we know. It's not even primarily about what we do. It's primarily about who we are. The early church leader Paul, you might remember in the book of Romans, says we were buried with Jesus in his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. It's, it's that idea of newness of life that I want to focus on today because we've been given this great gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were once dead in our sin. We heard it in our confessional prayer today. We we're alienated from God, dead in sin. But now, those of us who are followers of Jesus are alive. We're no longer alienated from God. We're united to him. We have new lives. And so we're going to look at probably one of the most quintessential passages in the New Testament on the new life, and that is found in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And if you're able to stand, please do. We're going to read together. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we ask for your help as we look at your word together. We ask that you would bless um, us, Lord, that you would breathe new life into us, that you would speak to us, change us, transform us, give us hope, challenge those of us who need to be challenged, Lord, and ultimately draw us deeper and deeper into unity with you and each other. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen. So typically, um, maybe you found when Christians come to this passage, we come to it 
with what we might call sort of an insider view. Right, we look at Nicodemus and we go, look at this guy. You know, how can he not get it? <laughs> like he's super smart. How does he not understand what Jesus is talking about? And though that is initially how I feel and, and probably how you feel, uh, especially if you're a Christian and you've read this many, many times, but I think it's a very unhelpful approach if we want to understand the scriptures. Uh, it's unhelpful because if you read any more of the scriptures, you realize that the Christian life is a life of continual growth. The Christian life is a life of continual transformation. And once you think you made it, you realize you didn't make it. Once you think you got it, you realize, ah, I didn't really get it. If we assume we've arrived in some way, we may just miss out on the good news as it is presented to us afresh by the scriptures again and again. Why are his mercies new every morning like the psalmist says? Because I need new mercies every morning, right? I have new sins every morning. And so as we come to the passage today, no matter how confident you are, whether you're the most confident Christian in the room or whether you're a person who's trying to figure out what you believe about Christian spirituality, I'd like for you to consider for a moment today that you may be much more like Nicodemus than you want to think. If you are wanting to understand the offer that Jesus is making to you right now, if you want to understand the new life that he wants to give us all, we have to understand three things. You've got to understand where you are <laughs> or where you're at. You have to understand where Jesus wants to take you, and you have to understand how you're going to get there. So where you're at, where Jesus wants to take you, and how you're going to get there, okay? So first of all, where you're at. If, if we want to um, think about where we might be in our journey of belief, or if you're a Christian, your journey in following Christ in your life, um, I want to suggest that we just, we have to start with the, the fundamentals of who Nicodemus is. If we want to try to relate with him, we know he's a Pharisee, and this means he's a professor of theology and tradition. He's a highly trained professor of theology and tradition. You might call him the Reverend Dr. Nicodemus highly esteemed by uh, his pupils and all those in Israel. At the time um, that this was taking place, there were probably just a few thousand men who had reached his level of education and training and expertise. So he was sort of at that upper echelon of academia. But it also tells us that he was a ruler of the Jews. And that meant he sat on the, like the city council of Jerusalem. And on that city council of Jerusalem, there are only about 20 guys, right? So he's, he's one of a few thousand, um, but then out of that few thousand, he's one of 20 who serves in leadership over the city council. So this is a very well-known, very gifted, popular leader on top of all his educational accolades. 
The next detail we get about him is that he comes to Jesus at night. Okay, that's an important detail. You've probably heard that before. If you've read through this passage, it's a slight detail, but it's an important detail. Why would this guy come at night time? You know, after business hours, so to speak. And the general consensus seems to be that this had to do with his reputation. He, being this one out of a thousand and one out of 20 special kind of leader, wants to know what's going on with Jesus, but he can't approach him during the day. He, he, he apparently really wants to learn something about Jesus, and he also apparently wants to give Jesus some compliments about his work. He appreciates so many things that Jesus has done, but he can't be seen going in there to talk with Jesus during the day. And I want to suggest that that's because Nicodemus knows at the bottom of his heart that Jesus doesn't want the same things that he wants. He, he can't be seen talking with someone who's not after the same things that he's after. He knows that Jesus isn't there to help the religious authorities or the political authorities do their thing better. And so he can't be seen partnered up with him. So he has to go undercover. And what's the first thing he says to Jesus in that undercover moment? He says, Rabbi, we know, right? So he's speaking for his group of 20, most likely. We know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's giving Jesus this compliment. He says, listen, we, the religious and civil authorities, we know that you're a good teacher and we know that you do good things. He, he acknowledges the miracles that Jesus does. He's like, hey, we know you're a miracle worker. And what I want to suggest to you is that what, what Nicodemus is trying to do in this moment is he's trying to build a bridge from himself and what he represents to Jesus. He's trying to build a place from his influence to what he sees as Jesus' place of influence. He says, let's work together. You know, we like you. We want the same things. We're trying to do the same things. Nicodemus approaches Jesus. He says, hey, you do good things. We do good things. We're all good. Let's get together and do something good. Isn't that a good idea? Well, what I want to suggest to you right now is that what this passage shows us is a terrible idea. It's a really bad idea. It's, it's bad news. It's not the good news of the gospel. It's bad news. This is Nicodemus' big mistake. He assumes that Jesus has come to align himself with him. He assumes that Jesus would be willing to work with Nicodemus on his program. And I want you to see that if this were the case, if this were what was true, most true about this passage, this would be terrible news for the world. If Jesus has come to rubber stamp my plans, that is not good news. First of all, my plans are tainted by my sin. I, I have, you know, maybe 50-50 maybe on my plans <laughs> in terms of what, what, are, what are good ideas and what are actually sinful, selfish ideas, 
right down to whether or not I go to the supermarket for my wife, right? Man, can I squeeze some beer in this run or not? I don't know. If I can, maybe I'll go. But I show up at home and it's like, thank you for going to the supermarket. You see that? Bad plans. My plans are tainted by my sin. But my plans are also extremely limited. I can't see past what I can do with my body. This thing's falling apart. You all feel it? I I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't have the wisdom to plan the way I need to. If I think deeply about these shortcomings and the problems of my life, I don't just need Jesus to come make my plans work out. I need Jesus to give me a new life. I need Jesus to make me a different person. I need a whole new way of seeing things, and I need a whole new way of being me. I'm not okay. Daily, I need new life. So we see that Jesus immediately is is not tracking with this conversation. How do we know he's not tracking with it? How do we know this is his his perspective? He says in response, all right, listen, Nicodemus comes and says, hey, you're great, man, we like you. And here's what Jesus says in response. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's his response to Nicodemus's compliment. Nicodemus is like, hey, let's work together. And Jesus is like, you're blind, dude. I'm not going to work with you. Why would I do that? What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is he was not there to do the same things that Nicodemus was there to do. Nicodemus thought he knew what the kingdom of God looked like. He thought he knew what God's plans looked like. And it was related to his and his buddy's political and religious program. But Jesus says, you don't know what I'm about or how to get it, (laughs) right? Nicodemus did not come interested in new life. He came thinking that Jesus would just be an upgrade to his current program. And we all have to ask ourselves this question. Does the gospel of Jesus mean that I just get to do more of the things I like to do? Does the gospel just mean that I get to think the same way I think now, but just better? Is Jesus just going to help all my bright ideas work out the way I want them to work out? Is he just like a powerful plus one on a dinner date? See, many of us think that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is going to make all our plans work out. But that's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus is calling me into new life. He's calling me into a transformed version of myself that will align myself with him, (laughs) will align myself with his work. And why would I want that? Because Jesus is, Jesus himself, (laughs) and Jesus' ideals, and Jesus' mission, the Bible teaches us, are the perfect manifestation of God's glory. Why would I want anything less than that? So let's find out where he wants to take us, right? That's where we're at. We want Jesus to line up with our plans, but where's Jesus going to take us? 
He tells Nicodemus he's not there to partner with him, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus would never use families, politics, churches, law. It doesn't mean that he would never use those things for his glory. It just means that if we think we can enlist him to work for us in those programs, we're out of our minds. He wants to do something different. And the different thing that Jesus wants to do is called the kingdom of God, right? It's a different thing. So what we need is to be lifted out of our old life, what we might call our our kingdom is our old life. And Jesus wants to give him what the Bible calls new life, which is life in his kingdom. So remember how the exchange goes. Verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Right? So you don't even know what you're looking at, Nicodemus. And what we get from Jesus' response is that what he thinks Nicodemus needs more than anything else, this reverend doctor political religious leader, popular figure in the culture, what he needs more than anything else is to be part of the kingdom of God, to to see the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus wants Nicodemus, remember, I'm trying to think like Nicodemus now, okay? So Jesus wants Nicodemus to see the world differently, He wants Nicodemus to stop seeing things in himself the way he is seeing things in himself. Jesus is saying, you don't even see my signs correctly. You you believe the miracles you've seen, but you don't even interpret them correctly. It's very clear that to follow Jesus, one has to be born again. It means to receive a new way of seeing, a new way of being, a new kind of life. You see, Nicodemus thought that in some way or another, he might have been some kind of Christian because he had compliments for Jesus. I like how you think, Jesus. I like those miracles I've been seeing you do. And he thought because he liked those things, he was some kind of Christian. He thought that Jesus was worthy of trying to get alongside of his causes. And we might call that today cultural Christianity. We might call it domesticated Christianity. Does Jesus fit inside my domicile, right? Here's my thing. Here's the thing that I like. Here's the thing that I love. Here's my lifestyle. Here's my worldview. Here's my language. Here's my culture. Can I shoehorn the Son of God into it? If I can do that, I must be a Christian. (laughs) It's insanity. Cultural Christianity says the kingdom of God looks like Jesus on my side. But biblical Christianity says Jesus gives me new life. Well, freedom is in that. 
Jesus totally flips the script on religion and power in the world. He hasn't come to join his power to ours. He hasn't come to promote our causes. He has come to give us new life and a new kind of power, new birth in a new kingdom. If you think about what an infant experiences in the birth process, it can be summed up by these two words, new life. Everything is new to a newborn. All the senses finally burst, right? Seeing, touching, tasting, feeling, breathing, everything. is. You, you see when these babies come out, I, got, I, I watch four of them come out, okay? They come out and they're like, ah, you know? They, their bodies are just ready to explode with energy. And I don't know what else is going on in there, but it sounds like, you know, most of the time. And Jesus is saying that to truly believe in him and follow him, there is a sense in which the person has this kind of explosive new life in them. Confusion, maybe. Turmoil. It's a struggle. Nicodemus isn't there yet. How do you know it? There's no struggle. There's no challenge. He's cool. Everything's good. He's not feeling any tension. He's not trying to get close to Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus close to him. The new life does not always feel great. That's important to know. But the struggle is how you know something is happening. If you're struggling to trust Jesus now, whether you're a Christian or not, if you're struggling to understand his plan and program, why is he letting this happen? Why does this happen? God, why would you allow this? If you're asking those questions, could it be that new life is bre like brewing? If you're, if you're a follower of Christ, that there's a new place God wants to take you in his kingdom experience, a new way to tr believe and trust him, Cry out. This world's confusing as heck. You notice that? Anybody? It's confusing. We need new life to navigate it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to navigate it. We need Jesus to navigate it. Why do newborns cry? Because life is hard, and they're just getting a taste of it. The new birth presents us with some difficulties, okay? When you realize you got to lay down and take it on the chin to bless somebody, that's the difficulty. When you realize you got to cut another check to that wayward child, <laughs> that's a difficulty, right? But if you know Jesus is calling you to do it, you got to do it. And you feel like this. <laughs> okay? You got it. Author and hip-hop artist Jackie Hill Perry, if you've ever heard Jackie Hill Perry, she talks about how her coming to faith meant that she could not continue in the homosexual lifestyle that she had embraced for so long, okay? She grew up in the church. She heard a hundred sermons on this very topic, what it meant to be born again. She heard a hundred sermons on the expectations regarding Christian ethics and morality, but she was not born again. She was living her own life. Here's what she says uh, in her book about what it felt like to be born again and have to change her life. She says, after 
finally hearing the gospel message and feeling that transformative power of it. She says this, Shortly after that pivotal night, I was doing the painful work of breaking up with my girlfriend. Her tears were too loud to listen to without regret. It's hard, right? To leave her, to leave our love, made no sense apart from the divine activity of God. Though it was painful, it was better for me to lose her than to lose my soul. A new identity was to come after I hung up. I had no idea what would come next or how I'd have the power to resist everything I'd once lived for, but I knew that if Jesus was God, and if God was mighty to save, then surely God would be mighty to keep me. So she had to break up with her girlfriend and what she perceived to be her sexual identity. I think what Jesus was telling Nicodemus is he had to break up with his political and religious ideologies. He had to break up with his success and his privilege and his popularity. Is there something you need to break up with? That's the question. If I'm Nicodemus, I got to ask myself, is there something I need to break up with to enter into deeper and deeper experiences of this new life that Jesus wants to give me? Are there plans or ideals that I just hold so close to my heart that I can't let go of that maybe I need to let go of? If you're counting the cost a little bit and you're feeling the pain of it right now or the potential pain of it, you're probably to some degree feeling the, the pains of rebirth. Keep going. Because Jesus is taking you somewhere. He's taking you to his kingdom anew. Okay? So that's the second thing. Where he wants to take us. Third, we got to look at how we're going to get there. All right? So if you're thinking this through, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, you're probably doing some reorientation, right? You're seeing the, the seriousness of this faith that is offered to us, this rebirth that is offered to us. You're seeing sort of the otherness of it, the strangeness of it, right? Oh, we're talking about spirituality now, right? Like it's strange. It's hard to gauge, hard to measure. And you're thinking to yourself, maybe some of the same things that Nicodemus was, more specifically, probably thinking, well, how is this going to happen? Because that's what Nicodemus says in verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And what I want to suggest to you is that that's the equivalent of just saying, how the heck is this going to happen, Jesus? <laughs> how, how am I going to experience this change, how can I change? I, I feel like I can't change myself. In other words, the change that needs to take place is not simply a change of behavior. It's a change of me. It's, it's Christian spirituality. It's new life. It's true life. See, the gospel is a gift of a new me. A me that's being made more and more 
into the likeness of Jesus Christ. A me that's everything God wants me to be. A me that is being constantly changed and renewed, made more and more into the image of God, not whatever other images I'm trying to project or formulate. And that's why Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This, this change that I'm looking for, this change I think I want, but I'm a little bit afraid of, this growth, this transformation, it's not wrought by my behavior. It's not wrought by the things I choose to do or not to do. It is wrought in me by the power of God. In his commentary on this passage, uh, missiologist Leslie Newbigin says, flesh does not evolve into spirit. Flesh does not evolve into spirit. We do not perform our way into the presence and reality of the spirit. We're either new creations in the spirit or we're not. And only an act of God can accomplish that. So the only question is this. Is God's spirit moving in you so as to give you new life? Is that happening? Now there's a, there's a once for all aspect of this that happens when we enter, when we exit death and enter life in Christ. This is when you have that sense that you're coming to faith in Jesus. You're going, oh, I'm starting to see who Jesus is, right? That's, that's the beginning of the new birth. That's the first sense. Maybe as a Christian, you remember that. I, I can't really remember how I felt. For me, it happened over a, a period of months when I was about 17 years old and I was in a Bible study with a pastor. <laughs> he said, just do this Bible study with me and I'll leave you alone. He used to chase me all over the place. You couldn't do that today. Uh, I became a Christian during that time. I don't remember what it felt like. I wish I did. I've talked to people that have these experiences of like, I remember what it felt like. That's, the, that's, the, that's that entry point of the new birth. That's the first sense. This is where I hope and pray Nicodemus was. <laughs> I, hope, I hope the light was starting to dawn on Nicodemus 2,000 years ago in this moment. I feel like it might have been. But there's another sense of this new birth for believers. When Paul writes his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3, he says this, and we all, he's talking about those who have faith in Jesus, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I think what he's trying to show us here is that a major aspect of the Christian life, maybe a, a necessary thing that happens in the Christian life of growing in the gospel, of receiving more and more the gift of the gospel is the hunger and the embrace for the new life as it comes. 
for an openness, when you start to feel those pains, for an openness to say, is this the spirit of God calling me into yet newer life? Is this the spirit of God opening yet wider the door to his kingdom so I can see more and more what it means to be one of his children walking on this earth, trying to live my life? Even if it's painful. But it comes by what Paul calls degrees of glory. And we're brought through these degrees of glory, not through our successes and not through our performances. Often we're brought to these degrees of glory as Christians through our failures. Through our failures. We're not brought primarily through our education and our promotion at work. We're not brought to these greater degrees of glory through our parties winning, elections, or our denominations growing. We're brought through these degrees of glory by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, who, as Jesus says, blows when and where he wishes. And my prayer is that that same spirit, the spirit of the living God, will be blowing through our churches and our communities, our neighborhoods, that we all would have the sense of the new birth and those greater degrees of glory, and that we may be able to share that with one another and share that with those who don't know Jesus and desperately need to. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come uh, before you and we just ask for your blessing on our time, the rest of our time together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is so beautiful. We thank you for your son, the capital W word, who just speaks life. Thank you for preserving these words for so many years, thousands of years, that we can read them together that we can be changed, that we have hope in the new life. Lord, we thank you and we love you, and uh, we commit the rest of our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.